Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 454 with Chef Jeff Newman. This industry is often, it's about authenticity to me. You know, you you, you are going to need to be true to yourself to in order to be honest to other people. And I think that's what people really want is honesty, whether it comes through the words from your mouth or the food that's on the plate. You know, you want something honest and authentic. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Jeff Newman. Chef Jeff, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely, every day. <laughs> yes. So hailing from Lexington, Kentucky, Jeff got his start working at the Marriott. While at the Marriott, he was offered a scholarship to attend the Culinary Institute of America after uh, fulfilling his obligation with the Marriott, he moved on to Boone Tavern, uh, and in 2014, he partnered with uh, John Rigsby and opened Blue Door Smokehouse. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. This is a super aerial view of who you are and what mm-hmm. you're all about. I can't wait to dive into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you have for us? Uh, actually, something my wife said about me um when I was going through some, some tough stuff, um, and I had a a special dinner to do with some good friends of mine. Um, and I rolled in there after a really, really rough day. And then she posted on Facebook, um, that, you know, perseverance and success is based on all the work you do after you do all the work you've already done all day. And so that's, you know, it it meant a lot to me, you know, that she said that, and then I thought about it, and I said, that's one of the best quotes I've ever heard, and that really kind of sums up owning your own little small yeah. business. It really does. Really dive into how that resonates with you and the truth of that quote. I mean, it's like uh, you know, every day you walk into work, and you have this long list of things to do, and everything could be going smooth, and then the ice maker goes out. Now you're sitting at work. You know, We close early in the day on the weekdays, um, so... You know, I'm used to leaving at three thirty, four o'clock a lot of times. 
Sometimes you're here till six thirty, seven o'clock. Sometimes we got special events at night. We do some special dinners. We do some catering in the evenings from time to time. And uh, you know, your eight or ten hour day can turn into twelve or sixteen, just like that. And it's you, you got to give a hundred percent that whole time. So you can really kind of you know half ass the stuff later in the day. But if you want to keep your standards and your quality up, you know, it's, you got to you got to be hundred percent the whole time. So where do you find it? Where where do you dig deep to get that extra oomph to get through the day at a hundred percent? Like how do you how do you keep showing up that 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 full that fullness about you, not just half assing it? Uh, cappuccino is one of the main <laughs> ones, um, but you know, it's just something that you inherently have if you really enjoy what you're doing. And I really do enjoy uh, what I do. And so you just, you see that your results kind of speak for themselves. So when, when we've got people, you know, we've got some prominent type of people in town, or we've got, you know, we, we, we love to cater for UK basketball, and they call us up in the morning and say, we need you all to cater this evening. You know, I mean, that means that people are interested in us, interested in our product, and they they want that, so we want to deliver that to them. And have no idea how barbecue works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there has been some scramble moments, and uh, and that's another thing. You know, you you've got to roll with the punches, and it's never going to be a structured, uh, you know, kind of uh, experience because we're talking about all kinds of different variables, yeah. and you can have all the systems in place that you want, but when it comes down to it, you are the system. You control the system, and the system will never control itself necessarily. Not in this kind of situation. Maybe in like a fast food or fast casual, you know, the, the, the more you can dumb it down, the more you can have the system work for you. But if you want to keep true and authentic, you're, you're really working the system yourself all day. Oh, man, I love it. And you mentioned something like you, you really got to love it. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you, that's the extra something that lets you get through it. So let's bring it to the point where you knew. You really loved it. Do you, did you, can you go back to that time where you knew that this was going to be your jam? Because you got started before the Marriott. Was it before the Marriott where you knew you were going to commit your life to this? Yeah, definitely. Um, Bring us to that moment when you knew. I, I tell you what, I knew extremely early, like early teens, um, that I wanted to cook and that I wanted that to be my career. And uh, I remember kind of racing uh, my sister. I have two older sisters. I remember kind of racing them home to get control of the remote control if anybody has (laughs) siblings you know how that goes and uh because i wanted to watch cooking shows and at that time uh graham kerr was really popular martin yan you know yan can cook and then all the great chef series like great chefs of the world great chefs great cities great chefs of the u.s and so that's what i wanted to watch when i got home and um i remember uh you know when i was younger my parents were out of town and i was like you know we had some microwavable stuff and you know, things like that. But I wanted to, like, make something. Mm-hmm. And I had made, you know, done eggs and some other things and helped my mom and whatnot. And um, so I wanted to make something. So I was watching a video um, from that I'd bought a series of VHS tapes from a yard sale called Roughing It, which was from Kentucky Educational Television, KET, like a local channel. And, uh, you know, something I found at a yard sale. So anyway, so there was one on outdoor cooking. So I was watching it because I love being outdoors and camping and that kind of thing. And so I'm watching this, and he makes this, like, pasta outdoors. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. I'm inside of a house, you know. <laughs> so I rummage through all of our stuff, and I find very similar ingredients to what he had. And I made this pasta. Well, 
you know, I don't didn't know how to measure how much I should make. So I made enough pasta for like 20 people <laughs> and I ate about half of it, honestly. And it was so good. And I was like real proud of myself. And I thought, you know, I, I can, I'm, this is good. Like, I mean, if I got served this at a restaurant, I mean, I, I would like this. And so it just kind of grew from there. And then, um, I worked at a few little, you know, kind of small scale restaurant stuff some chain stuff and then i went to uh, a fine dining restaurant uh here in town called uh, phil dunn's cook shop i didn't work there a whole long time but uh i learned a ton there and um you know it just i just got enthralled with it so how old were you when you got we started working at this restaurant um legally i was 16 i was actually 15 um or i I think i no, i was 16 and i had told them i was 18 oh okay um so and i actually got caught um they went out for beers one night all the cooks and i said well i'm not old enough to buy beer and they said okay here go get us cigarettes and then we'll just order a bunch of pitchers and tell them how many glasses we need and you can just kind of sneak in and have a beer and stuff and i didn't really drink or anything but i was like i'll drink a beer with these guys and so then i said i'm not old enough to buy cigarettes either and that (laughs) they said wait what you're 18 aren't you and i said no i'm only like 16 so um but uh you know i i loved it they started me on salads they knew i was green i didn't have a lot of experience and i i I definitely lied like i'm sorry phil dunn and i'm sorry (laughs) um you know it, it is what it is but um you know, but they taught me a lot and I learned a lot there and, uh, I was doing salads and the guy that was doing the grill was, he was kind of sucking up a little bit and they said, Hey, get over there and work the grill, you know, and I'd been helping him with prep. So okay. I was a little bit familiar with it and I went over there and worked the grill, probably did a horrible job, but I was proud of myself nonetheless. And, uh, the next day they said, you're working grill today. So I had to do all that prep. One of the first things they said, I needed to do was make beurre blanc. I'd never heard that word in my life and I had no clue what I was doing, but they kind of thought that I did. So I just, you know, (laughs) waited till the chefs were gone. And I asked one of the other cooks, like, I don't know how to do this. Like, how do I make this? And he taught me and, you know, I just kind of, you know, soaked all that stuff in. So they taught you a lot, I'm sure about food, but what did they teach you about the business, about how to be, how to act, how to, you know, to put yourself in that situation and come out the other end successful? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me I, I, I honestly i probably didn't learn a whole lot um in that respect because i was so young but uh, i did actually get fired from there it's the only time i've ever been fired and it wasn't necessarily anything that i did i think it was just like my attitude because i didn't understand how hard you had to work and i remember a, a couple of the things that 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 i learned there that I, i'll keep with me the rest of my life um is I remember I was making salads one day and I just had a couple salads to make what no big deal. And I'm kind of moving slow and he's like, move, move fast, fast. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. You know, like I just have these two salads. It'll just take me one minute. And he said, well, make it take 30 seconds then. And so, and that he said, what if you had 40 salads, you know, like it's busy, it's slow right now, but we're going to be busy in a couple days or, you know, whatever. And so that really, really stuck with me about like, you have to move at all times you know double speed um and then another thing this is a really cheesy sounding story you said you were cheesy too so um, (laughs) but this is one of the turning points of my life honestly 
Um, so I was uh, I was on the line. I was doing prep, and the chef was uh, was in there, and he was making family meal. He was putting some pasta together, and so he's tasting it and stuff. And I I, I looked up to this guy like just so incredibly. And um, so his name's Steve Atkins. He's got a restaurant here uh, around Lexington and Winchester. Um, and uh, I just I looked up to him incredibly because he was the first chef I worked for, and he had the yeah. pressed whites. He's a really handsome guy and um, had the cool, you know, uh, clogs and stuff. And I'm like, I've never seen a man wear shoes like that, but <laughs> he looks really awesome. So anyway, so he's cooking, and he tastes this food, and I see him contemplate, and he's like, Oh, go grab me some thyme. Well, I knew thyme was an herb because I'd seen it on little cans in my mom's, you know, cabinet. And so I, uh, so I run into the refrigerator and I'm looking and the banquet chef was in there and she's like, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm, you know, chef sent me to get fresh thyme. And she said, Oh, you don't know what that is. I'm like, no. And I was just hoping that it was labeled or something. So she gives it to me and I grab it and I start to run off and she's like, wait, 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 wait. That's not how we do this here. She said, take some of it out of the bag, crush it up in your hands, and then smell it. You know, put some in your mouth, taste it. Learn what time tastes yeah. like. Learn what it smells like. What would you put this on? Why does he want it? What's he making that he wants us for? And so she made me understand that it's like, it's not just someone's going to give you a recipe or, you know, and you're just going to go through it. You're going to learn how to cook here. You're going to learn how to use your senses. Yes. And, uh, and that was honestly like a turning point in my life. And uh, that's probably when I really said, you know what? I do love this. Like, I, I mean, I love everything I'm doing here. So that was, uh, that was huge. You know, and that's what I try to teach my guys. Like, I've got a guy just in here today, taught him how to make a vinaigrette. Yes. We do a smoked jalapeno vinaigrette for like our little side salads. And, uh, you know, I could have just said, here's the recipe, do it. But I wanted to go through the steps. He's never cooked before. He's been working our register for for years, actually. And he's he's our oldest, um, he's our, our longest running employee. And, um, and we just kind of started transitioning him into doing more food work and stuff. And, you know, I wanted to teach him how to make a vinaigrette, why it works, when it's not going to work, what you do if it doesn't, you know, those kinds of things. And so that's that's really important. I mean, to, these are all amazing lessons of just the the, the – the way to think and the way to treat food and the way to how to get familiar with food. But even beyond that, the, the underlying lesson here is that we need to stop and take the time to, to teach people and yeah. to share that knowledge and to, to help people understand why, right? Now, mm-hmm. don't just go through the motions because I asked you to, but like understand why, uh, and not enough people take that time to really, to mentor, to share the knowledge yeah. and to, to, to mold these young people, I think is the underlying message there. Yeah. And, and it's hard to do that because we're so busy, you know, restaurants all across the country we're, we're everybody's so busy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to take that time. And I know I'm not perfect with it whatsoever. Um, but you know, over the years I've picked up a lot of tidbits and knowledge and experience and stuff. And I do like to, to spread that when people want to receive it, you know, and, um, so, you know, we have a, a problem with having a shortage of good quality cooks in America. I mean, I see chefs all over the country post about it and, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we're not teaching them well enough, you know? And so, but it's nobody's fault. I mean, it's just kind of the cycle that happens, mm-hmm. I think. So what was the next, uh, progression for you? Or should we get to the point where you're at the Marriott now? Were there any, any other like really big mentors in your life before getting into the Marriott? Uh, no, I, I actually left there and, and went to the Marriott. Okay. How um, old were you when you left? Um, 
I guess I was 17 or 18, something okay. like that. Um, you, you spent five years at the Marriott. So uh, what, what did you learn in that five years? Oh, man. Look, uncountable. I mean, it was uh, – I started at the hotel. Um, so, you know, full-service hotel, breakfast, lunch, dinner, banquets – everything every day um just crazy busy 421 rooms i think in that hotel and uh so i started down at the hotel and they had two restaurants there they had a like an upscale steakhouse um and then kind of like their more casual thing and uh so i worked in between both of those and that's where i really learned how to like produce large amounts of food and even like in the upscale steakhouse had to be really nice you know everything was you know you could not mess steaks up there and you know, if your restaurant says so-and-so steakhouse, yeah. like your steak better be really good, you yeah. know, um, learned a lot of processes there. And then what really, really was eye opening were banquets and, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, we have a wedding for 300. And then in the room next door, we have a conference for two fifty, And then we have seven other meetings for 20 and 30. And, you know, then the next day it's like, yeah, we have this huge thing for 1100 people, you know, and we have action stations and all this stuff. Um, so I did a lot of work with all throughout that hotel, but really the majority of my time was at a restaurant that was kind of standalone owned by and on the property of that Marriott. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So I'm still a Marriott employee, but we were kind of did our own thing there. And the, the first chef, um, that uh that i worked for there is who i really consider you know a big mentor of mine even though he probably doesn't realize it chad vicknair if you're listening or if anybody (laughs) knows chad vicknair tell him jeff newman really appreciated all he did uh he was a yeller and a screamer and a plate thrower uh which is basically completely off the table now i think i was i'm of the age where i'm at the very end of working for chefs that were like that um, but I got a lot of stuff thrown at me. I got yelled at and screamed at, but he was a great teacher and he was a phenomenal chef. I mean, mm. he made some really good quality food and he was another guy that was like, you know, why'd you do that? Why did, you know, this asparagus sucks. What happened? Like, I don't know. I overcooked it. You know, I was like, no, what'd you do? You put too much oil or you, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so you learn those little it just continues to question, you know, what you're doing. And um, another thing that I think causes problems in our industry now is that people uh, jump from place to place really quickly. And you kind of go and you learn, okay, I learned all the recipes of this guy and I learned all the techniques of this guy, so I'm going to leave. But I think we need to spend more time in places and really, you know, understand and, <clears throat> and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, he was uh, – like a Cajun Creole kind of background. He worked for Emerald um, at Commander's Palace, and then he left when Emerald opened Emeralds. So that was kind of his, you know, kind of Southern with the, you know, kind of Cajun Creole influence. And we did a lot of that there, but it was, it was, it was old school style fine dining. You know, we did a lot of steak and lobster and, you know, things like that. So, um, but just, I mean, dark roux, like I'd never made an extra dark roux. And I'm like, hey, I think I'm burning this. And he's like, nope, you're only halfway there, you know. And so, and then to teach me about, you know, okay, well, this blonde roux you made, that can thicken a gallon of stuff. This dark roux, you'll need, it, it will only thicken two cups or, you know, and just learning those little things. I mean, just invaluable. So what were the, the 
the lessons you picked up from moving into a an organized operation like the Marriott, like a, a corporate operation known for being, you know, the, you mentioned the systems, the processes, the procedures. Was that like a culture change for you from going to the more like local mom and pop restaurant? Like, what was that change like? What did you pick up about how to uh, be organized and, and to, uh, you know, have the process for everything? Yeah, it, yeah, it was definitely a, a big change. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I think it, it's still just cooking you know mm-hmm. i mean that company relies on individuals to come in and manipulate food into something that you can sell to somebody else mm-hmm. um now of course we had you know it's a it's a much larger scale so the amount of organization needed you know you're doing prime rib for 800 people you got to get that prime rib in you've got to have it seasoned the day before you can't if you need to fire prime rib at 10 a.m., you better not start at 9 a.m. unpackaging them out of the plastic, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was those kinds of long prep lists that we had. I always re- remember those of kind of looking and saying, you know, wh- why are we getting this ready on Tuesday? This banquet's not until Thursday. And then on Wednesday you had 100 banquets too, mm. you know. And so you didn't, you weren't going to have time to do certain things. So. It was just like a like this constant flow and really kind of looking ahead and setting yourself up for success. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I can only imagine doing uh, you know owning a smokehouse today. Uh, we'll get more into the present day, but to to look back at the, that that experience doing the banquets and the catering you do now. I mean, what did you pick up um, then that you're applying now as far as like how to handle uh, cooking at, at scale like that? Uh, organization. First and foremost, um, list making lists. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I always remember when I was young and just starting to cook, they would say, you know, always keep a pen and paper, you know, keep a little pad on you. I didn't listen back then. <laughs> and then, you know, the chef says, hey, while you're doing your prep, add this and this. Oh, hey, you know, I want to add some, some of this to this dish tonight. You're like, okay, sure. And then after he tells you three things, you forgot two of yeah. them. And so then you start learning, okay, you got to write this stuff down. And so <clears throat> when we go to do an offsite, we don't do a ton. We have a little saying, we stay at the fort. And, uh, but we, we still do leave from time to time. And uh, so you go do an offsite. I mean, you're 20, 30 minutes away sometimes, and you can't say, oh, crap, I forgot this. I mean, you have to have that with you or you have to improvise. And uh, so, you know, that that was is really big is – just going through these lists and just saying, you know, what I do is I basically act like I'm a guest. And mm. I say, okay, I, as I walk in here, I'm going to approach the buffet. The first thing I want to do is grab a plate, and then I'm going to need my silverware. And Do we need spoons? Yes. You know, yes. are we going to serve little packets with fork, spoon, knife, napkin? Are we going to have, you know, what are we going to do? And, and then, okay, I'm going to go to the pork. There should be tongs for that. And then, you know, you just go through each little step all the way to the end, and I just go over that like 20 times. Yeah, there's a huge lesson in that, uh, taking the guest perspective. Yeah. And uh, even – 
in a restaurant, like sitting in each seat. Where's the air conditioning coming? Am, mm-hmm. am I being blasted by air? Is this a hot spot, a cold spot? Like, do I have like, is it comfortable? Like you, and I think it was Jeff Benjamin who said this. He wrote uh, the front of the house, a uh, great book, uh, the director of operations gym for Vetri restaurant group. Uh, and he literally goes through and he sits in every seat at, mm-hmm. at his restaurants. Uh, but you need to know because like, what if there's an old woman or like an older man sitting in that cold spot? Yeah. Like, you need to be like, thinking about the guests at all times and being proactive. And that also applies to the, the catering and the, and what am I going to need? Uh, like being proactive and not waiting until you need it, mm-hmm. but like just being empathetic and in, in, of the, 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 the situation to come. Yeah. Um, awesome stuff. So, okay. Eventually you, you, uh, get this opportunity from the Marriott to attend the, the culinary Institute of America. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that point, anything else from this time of your life that you want to drop on us? I, there, there was one more thing <clears throat> and it's a, it, you know, I've mentioned a couple of these little small things that actually ended up being like pretty impactful. Uh, one of them was when I went to the mansion part of the Marriott. You know, it was it was upscale, very nice. You know, crystal chandeliers. All the men wore suits and the women wore gowns. And, you know, just that kind of thing. Uh, very special occasion type of place. And um, but what? One thing that I noticed them do that I just it blew my mind, and there was a, only a few servers there that did it, um, and these were like life servers. You know, these weren't just your work six months here, six months there. I mean, For these now, yeah. these guys were committed, you know, servers, and and you can make a really nice career out of that if you take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, so they we used uh, white napkins, but a lot of times people come in in dark colors and they would keep some dark napkins black or navy blue and they would come and they would replace if they saw a lady come in with a black dress they would come as she sat down and replace the white with a dark napkin so she wouldn't get white lint on her dress Mm. and it's just those little tiny details that take you very little effort you know hey keep you know a couple dozen dark napkins you know when you do your napkin order, you know, we, you know, we're talking about getting a thousand napkins a week or something, you know, get a hundred black ones or whatever. Yeah. And they'll last you a year. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, when you get those little opportunities to do that and like you were saying, like from the guest perspective, I mean, sometimes those little, the tiniest little things can be like a real yeah. wow moment mm-hmm. as a guest. And then that guest may leave extra gratuity or they're going to come back again, yep. and that's what and that's what you really uh, you know, ultimately need is for your guests to come back over and over and over again. Absolutely, or to tell ten people instead of three. You know. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for squeezing that in. A great lesson there. So you you eventually get to the uh, CIA. What was that like? I'm curious. Somebody who had now probably five years, seven years, six years under your belt. How old were you? Twenty four when you're headed over there. Uh, twenty. Two or 22? three, okay. no, twenty three or twenty four, I guess. Yeah. So, did um, you have a chip on your shoulder going to the CIA with all this experience? Um, it it was a little bit different. I just, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I tell you, anybody who's who's been to the CIA probably had the same feeling I did. I applied to go there and go through this huge application thing. I mean, like four weeks later they said hey you start in two weeks (laughs) well i couldn't i had an apartment you know i had a job i'm like i and i I called him and i said look i'm not given a a week notice to my job i have an apartment i have to get out of the you know yeah so i got some life and logistic things to deal with and so they said okay now you start three weeks after your the original date because classes start every three weeks there it's not a traditional semester program 
And so uh, new students come and go every three weeks. Uh, you have brand new students coming, and you have people coming back from internship, and then you have people graduating and people leaving for internship yeah. every three weeks. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a crazy place. Um, but I just, I wanted to excel there because I knew this is what I loved. It was very expensive. Um, I had a little bit of scholarship from the Marriott. Uh, my parents were helping and I had a loan. And so, and it, you know, I needed to make this count. And so I went in and, uh, and I was a little cocky, um, going in because I knew that I had some experience. Yeah. Um, I got, I got shut down pretty quick on that, and it was one of the first classes um, where we're doing knife skills. And so they, you know, you get a tray, and you've got three potatoes and two shallots and parsley and carrots and whatever. And then there's a list on the board that says, you know, large dice this, you know, brunoise this, chop this, whatever, and gives you a list of all the cuts you need to do. So I get it, and uh, also at the same time, I decided to use my own knives that I'd already bought because I wanted to look cool and, you know, everybody to see, Oh, this guy's got his own knives. He, he must be a phenomenal chef. And so I go through it and I knew how to do all these cuts and stuff. And I, now where I did say that I was, I was a little bit cocky, but I also paid attention and soaked everything up that I could. I mean, I didn't take it for granted at all. Um, so we, I remember going through knife cuts and I went really fast because I wanted to show everybody that I was good at what I did. And so I take it up to the chef, and he looks at it, and he's like, yeah, all the cuts are good. You crush the shallots. Your knife's probably not sharp enough. And because of that same reason, the parsley's a little bit squeezed out. It should be a little cleaner cut and uh, this, that, and the other. And why did you only why did you only use 10 or 15 minutes? Why didn't you use the whole 20 or 30 minutes? And I was like, oh, I just wanted to be fast and start working on something else. He said, this is all you got to work on today. You know, take your time. Learn these cuts better. I, I it's obvious you know what you're doing. It's obvious you've been in restaurants, but, you know, you, there's no reason. What are you going to do now? And so I had to wash dishes for the, <laughs> until everybody else was done. And so, and he was, the, the way that he said it, he said, look, I know, I know your type. Just chill, you know, chill, take it all in. And you have a good skill set to start, so hone that mm. and, and, and make it a little bit better. And, and so I did. And it was like, you know, every day and course then he says my knives were dull and i'm like oh gosh you know i hope nobody heard that you know <laughs> and so so i make sure my knives are sharp and and that kind of thing and um <clears throat> i remember there was a girl that was in our class and uh it was this class in particular was uh, cuisines of europe and the mediterranean and I'll, and I'll never forget this my whole life and no one was answering the questions in lecture that day and he was why do we have this what you know I remember one of the questions he said was, "What provide what when you say, you say something is, is succulent? What does that mean?" And nobody answered it. It was in the reading that we were supposed to do the night before. So I raised my hand. That means it has fat in it. Yeah, that's right. Now why does this? What's this question? What's this question? And nobody was answering. So I just kept raising my hand. And then this girl was like, oh, "I'm so sick of you. It's like you know everything. Well, not all of us did this before we came to school." And so I wasn't going to say anything, but the chef got really heated and he said, you know what? It, I, I'm, I'm upset that you're saying that because he may have had started with experience and that's obvious to me as his chef. But you know, what is also obvious is that I see him at every special event. I see him at the library. I see him on any of the days that we offer, you know, extra practice, extra tutoring. I see him everywhere. 
I don't see you anywhere. I don't see you putting forth the effort that he mm. puts in. I don't see you being the first one to class. I don't see you asking the extra question at the end. I don't see you asking for anything. And you could work on campus too. It was actually pretty sweet because um, because of their the way their college or their uh, finances were set up. You didn't really have to pay much in taxes as a student employee. And so, you know, you go and you make a little bit of money. And you all, we always volunteered for that. One of the main things, we needed money. Yeah. And it was, you got to eat for free. And so, like, on the weekends, we didn't get, we didn't have a meal plan. You only got to eat when you were in class and you got one other meal each day on the weekday. So, Saturday and Sunday, you were all alone. So, it's like, yeah, we'll go up here and work and we'll eat a bunch of food and take a bunch home and whatever. And so... You know, but that meant a lot to me that he had seen that, and um, and you know, I was I was like, and I talked to her a little bit about it later, and I'm like, hey, if you ever want to study with me or talk or whatever, you know, let's we can get together. It's, it's no big deal. And so, you know, it's a it's a great school, it's a phenomenal school, but it is like any other school. It's what you put into yes. it. Yes, you know. There were people that walked across the stage on graduation day with me that I guarantee could not make a French onion soup right now. They could not make a hollandaise or a mayonnaise. They could probably barely dice an onion properly on the, on their graduation day from the Culinary Institute of America. They just they they barely made it through and they just graduated because they paid the tuition. And I hate to say that about the school that I really do love, but everybody agrees and everybody knows it's it is what you put into it. And the proof is that there are chefs that are phenomenal that never went to culinary school. We have a little local culinary school here, produces some great chefs, produces some bad chefs. You know, any school is going to be the same. You know, there's always a doctor out there that had a C average, yeah. you know, so. That's a great lesson as to, you know, it's what you put into it. You, you get out what you put in. Yeah. But aside from that, the lesson I got too, which is something I bring up often on the show is, recognize people when they're putting the rep when they, when they put yeah. the effort in don't be afraid to let them know publicly out mm-hmm. loud like you're good at that like and acknowledge those people that are putting the effort in because you could i mean that could be a huge moment for that person in their life so don't yeah. be shy when you see somebody doing it right and let them know that they're doing it right you need mm-hmm. to you need to reinforce that good behavior yeah. and reward people for that kind of stuff so huge stuff there uh i can't believe we're already 36 minutes into this conversation i told you i talked no lot. it's great you're, you're <laughs> dropping bombs of knowledge on us right now and i love every second of it uh but i want to Try to extract a lesson or two. Uh, you you graduate from the CIA. You go back to fulfill your obligations to the Marriott because they gave mm-hmm. you the scholarship. And then you went on to another hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us through real quick the transition uh, going to this this new hotel. Uh, one or two big lessons you picked up, and then I want to also spend some time talking about uh, your own business and how you you know the the challenges of opening yeah. your own business. And um, yeah, take it from there. I, th- I think probably the two biggest lessons that I learned going to Boone Tavern, um, first of all, were is how to manage people, and that's what we that's what we're doing here. You know, we we, we have employees, and uh, you know, at Boone Tavern, I think I had eighteen maybe kitchen employees, including you know dishwashers, prep cooks, that kind of thing, and then I was a, I was a, in charge of the dining room as well. I really kind of let them do their thing because you know I, we had good managers there as well. Um, but ultimately, I made the bigger decisions there. And um, managing people is tough. It's it's one of the toughest things that we do. Um, and you know, if I could just you know make food and just somehow sell it all by myself, I think you know it would be great. But we can't do that. It won't make enough money. It doesn't pay the bills. 
Um, so <clears throat> I, I remember starting there. It, that hotel, it was just built in 1909. It was well, well, well known in this region um, for being really, really top quality food. Well, that had slipped over the years before I got hired. And um, so that's one of the reasons why they brought me on was because I was looked at as this young guy. I was going to bring fresh ideas. I'm from the area, you know, that kind of thing. I killed it in my little cooking interview that they had me do. I mean, I, it, it was really good stuff that day. And uh, so they took a chance on me. I was young. And, um, but I remember going in, and there were four, refri- four big walk-ins there. And they were just full. Like the, like the produce cooler was empty. You know, the, the meat cooler didn't have a whole lot in it. And, you know, all this. And I'm like, where's all your food at, you know? And then I go in the freezer. And it uh. is so full that you can barely walk into it. I go into dry storage. There's gravy powders, there's hollandaise powder, there's powdered mashed potatoes, lots of canned goods. And so basically over the years, they went from this very like well-known, good quality Southern food establishment. And they just started saying, well, we can, you know, we can cut a cost here. We can cut a corner here. We can cut a quarter there. Well, that was somewhat easy to remedy. You know, we just have to say, Hey, sorry, tomorrow we're making mashed potatoes. And, um, and just kind of breaking people of, you know what they've gotten used to and that was the big thing was was the people so i remember um my first day like by myself um as the chef they would grill chicken breast uh, before lunch and then they would put them in a little uh, pan with some chicken stock and leave it on the side of the grill so it was like kind of kept warm and then when they got an order where they needed a chicken breast for a sandwich or a salad they would heat it back up on the grill and slice it up, and it was good to go. It was disgusting. And uh, when, you, when you put something like that in water or in some kind of liquid, it actually dries it out because it pulls all the fat out of it. And um, so I, day one, I was like, I see him starting to do that. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're grilling chicken breast to order. They fought me, and they said, there's no way we'll ever keep up. And then when they knew they were going to be busy, they'd do the same thing with burgers. And they would leave them in a little pan of beef stock. And it was just like, no, 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 we're grilling to order. And so one of the reasons was the grill was half of it wasn't working. So I said, I'm getting a new grill. We'll have a new grill tomorrow. So I drove to Lexington, went to the restaurant supply, bought a new grill, took it back the same day. And um, so, you know, but it was like, they could not believe that I was going to ask them to grill chicken breast and burgers fresh. Well, after three days, they're like, this is way better. I don't even throw any chicken breasts away anymore. Yeah. You know? And so you think you're saving money by like, you know, doing that both, but how much are you wasting when, when you're yeah. just cutting corners like that? Uh, it's in, obviously the, the quality is not there. So you're not going to have people coming back. Like yeah. it's not going to serve you in the long run. In mm-hmm. that moment, it might be less challenging, but in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, it's always yeah. better to yeah. do it the right way. Oh, definitely so. And um, so, so that that was a, a big thing that I learned there was how to deal with people. And that was day one, you know, mm-hmm. like first day, like having to go through these huge changes. Wait, so how do you deal with people? I mean, you kind of talk us through the process of what was wrong with the situation, and you just did it. But how are you dealing with the people? Well, you've got to you've got to educate them, and you have to let them know that a you're on their side, you know. Mm. You're, you may be their leader, you may be their boss, you know, however they want to look at you is how they're going to look at you, but you're on the same team 
you know, we're all here. We're going to be working together eight plus hours a day for the next who knows how long. You know, we've got to get along. We've got to maintain the employee-employer type relationship. But at the same time, we need to be cordial and friendly with each other. And let's have a good time doing it. And so uh, it, one, of the, one of the things there was being proud of what we were doing. Because they talked about, there was his name was Richard Haugen. He was the kind of general manager of that hotel for like over 40 years. And some of these old timers worked with him. There were guys that had worked there for 40 years when I got there. So, and then here I am, you know, mid twenties, you know, guy, well, they would tell these stories like, Oh son, I remember we used to get whole chickens and I'd have to pull the feathers off of them. And I'm like, well, let's get back to that. You know, like I I want you to tell me everything you know about cooking because I want to learn from you. And so these guys, they would say, you know, they, we did soup of the day and anybody that knows who I'm talking about from Boone Tavern, (laughs) you know who the soup of the day man is. And he would do the same, like five or six soups, like every, you know, just got so sick of it. And he'd say, yeah, son, I remember we used to go out there and pick the green beans and do this and this. And I say, let's do that here. What do you want? I'll get everything you need, you know? And so it was just kind of letting them know they had a place there and uh, what their role was. And, you know, I wanted to learn from them. You know, I, I'm not all knowing. I mean, nobody is. And so that was, that was kind of big there in particular. I was coming in in the position I was in with some people that had worked there for a long time and not trying to change everything to what I wanted to do, but like, let's, let's pull some of your all's ideas. I mean, this place was supposedly known for some great food. Bring that back. Show me how you used to do it, you know? And, uh, and they taught me a lot. Those guys. Did. Yeah. And yeah. another big lesson, just listening to what you're dropping on us is the idea of just incorporating, like not going in and being a bull in, you know, my way or the highway, yeah. uh, which there's a part of that that needs to exist, mm-hmm. uh, get on the, the bus or get, you know, you get, you know, yeah. either get on or get off. But on the other side, like you have to like listen to what they want to contribute and make it not just me, but what is your input? Like, how can we make this about us and not yeah. just what I want to do, mm-hmm. which is huge. Uh, getting other people to buy in like that. Um, any other big lessons uh, from this experience in your life before we move on to more current time, starting your own business, the lessons there, finding your partner and all that. Yeah. The, the other one that I was thinking of, of was, uh, <clears throat> being true to yourself. Mm. Uh, when you're in a, in a situation, um, we were owned by a college. Um, it was, this was, this is an odd place. Um, so we're owned by a college and, uh, but we're managed by a company that was based out of Atlanta. So <clears throat> then I've got a, a general manager. So, and he's got like 40 people pulling him in different directions. Um, God bless the guy he did a great job. Um, never probably got the recognition he deserved, but I mean, in the two of us, we're always juggling everybody's suggestions. And so, you know, I, they, there were times where I, I feel like that my job was on the line because I wasn't bending over for every single suggestion. And I just stuck to my guns and I said, you know, here's the food that I do. Here's what I think's working the best. Here's why. And, uh, you know, come along, you know, let me prove to you that this is right. And, uh, one of our big things there was, uh, we used mostly local products. And I think, uh, my last year there, I think, cause I used to track it all. We have a program, uh, in the state where you can get some, uh, refunds from the state for using, you know, local products, really great program. Um, don't use uh, many here now, but, uh, then I think, uh, it was about 68% 
uh, local ingredients at that time, which was, in my opinion, humongous. We did two and a half million dollars in sales. So I think it was 600 something thousand dollars that went directly back to local farmers. And uh, so that was really cool. But, you know, there were times where it was like, we're playing in banquets and stuff. And I'm saying, if you want me to use more local, then you can't sell a banquet with, you know, a caprese salad. You know, it might be July now, but it's not going to be tomato season next February when this wedding actually happens. Mm -hmm. And so it was, there was, there was this big time where we kind of went through this, um, you know, kind of chef's menu for these banquets and stuff. And it was like, do you trust me at all? Because we can guarantee you chicken. I can always get chicken, but I can't always get asparagus. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can for Mexico, but you know, when your wedding comes around, are you okay with me kind of playing, you know, you know, you're going to have grilled chicken, you know, you're going to have mashed potatoes. What a sauce and vegetable. Can we just, you can, I can do something seasonal with that. And some people said, absolutely not. I want, I want my breaded chicken with my green beans, my mashed potatoes and my mustard sauce or whatever it was. And so there was a lot of that, like just trying to stick to what we were doing. And then I just sticking to your guns. You know, I was, as far as being a chef went, I was the most experienced guy in the room most of the time. And, but there was just so many people pulling you from different directions. And nowadays, you know, you have a lot of independent restaurants, but you also have a lot of these restaurant groups and there sometimes you have investors in those groups that, and I just hear this from other people that, you know, these, these are finance guys or accountants or lawyers or whatever that, that provided some, you know, financial assistance. They don't know the diff, you know, they want you to get this and that beef. Well, you don't want that. You want the beef that you know is better. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of got to stick to it. I mean, you have to come up with your, you know, brand or your thoughts and you got to stick to it and you got to fight for it sometimes. So really distill the significance of in like one or two sentences, why do you need to stick to your guns? Because this, I think this, um, this industry is often, it's about authenticity Mm. to me. You know, you, you, you are going to need to be true to yourself to, in order to be honest to other people. And I think that's what people really want is honesty whether it comes through the words from your mouth or the food that's on the plate, you know, you want something honest and authentic. Yes. Thank you. That was awesome. Okay. So at some point you you're working with somebody else, uh, who you always wanted to go into the business with. This was at Boone's. Uh, no, we worked at the Marriott together. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys, you kept in touch and when mm-hmm. did this idea of, uh, going out on your own, why did you want to break out on your own? Why, why, why this business partner? What was going on there? Well, we just, we became friends and, um, we just always talked about doing something together. He was real entrepreneurial. Um, he had a, a booth at the peddler's mall and he would buy and sell sneakers. And I remember I traded him a, a, a Wu Tang, um, track suit for some, Nike Air Maxes and <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So we we had some similar interests and um you know we just were friends, you know. Yeah. We'd get together and have lunch and talk about businesses and different things and it just never lined up. And then he went back to school to uh, finish his degree and then towards the end of that he was like, "Man, I he was like, I'm not trying to go work in some office somewhere or something." And so we've started looking for something to do. And, you know, since we both came from the restaurant industry, did he engage you or did you engage him? It was, it was mutual the whole okay. time. I mean, we, I'm, we're talking years of yeah. just like talking one day we'll do this and maybe we'll be ready. And it just, 
where we were at in our lives didn't line up to do the same thing at the same time. So when did it, did it all line up? Take us to that moment where it lined up and you're like, let's do this. Well, it just kind of came, you know, down to where he was, uh, you know, he was getting ready to graduate and, um, you know, cause he, he'd gone back to school to finish up and, uh, and I was looking for new, something new, you know, I was looking to leave Boone Tavern and, um, I just, you know, kind of run its course there at that time. And, uh, so it just happened. And so someone had approached me, um, he's everybody in Lexington knows him. His name's Stu. He runs a business where he sells, uh, olive oils and vinegars and salts and stuff. And, um, he said, Hey, I got a guy that wants to sell this restaurant. It'll, it'll be really cheap. And, uh, he, he's looking to get out. And so I didn't think anything of it at first. And, uh, cause I wasn't ready. And then maybe, you know, four to six months later, he calls back and he's talking about it again. And I said, well, let me get some information. And so that's how the ball st- started rolling here. What made you think you weren't ready four months earlier? Um, it, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if John and I had like fully decided to partner. He probably, you know, he wasn't, he was probably still in school at the time. I don't really recall, but I just remember kind of saying, eh, I don't know. It's, it's not for me. And, uh, you know, part of it was too, is like I was saying off air, I kind of had this idea that I was going to be this like big shot Michelin star kind of chef, which so many young, you know, chefs coming out of school and and just getting started think about, but you know, I was definitely changing, you know, and kind of thinking, looking down the road, like, is it really sustainable to do that? I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't good enough to do that kind of food. I mean, I worked in some of that stuff. I, I did some time in Atlanta and um at the ritz carlton but you know it was it was a good time but i I don't know if i was really able to to manage an operation like that it's very intense super Mm -hmm. intense and so um when you say you weren't good enough what what was it about you that wasn't good enough you know maybe not good enough but not dedicated to that Mm. particular thing enough you know i mean the the truth is to to earn that star or those stars like are you willing yeah. Are you willing to, to put in that time to give up your life? Yeah. To to achieve it. And the people that achieve those stars, that is their life. That's sixteen hours a day. Yeah. Seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Like that is their life. And uh is it worth it? Yeah. You know, for the recognition when you could be doing something that's a little more sustainable, like you say, uh that allows you to be present with other th- important things. Like yeah growing a family or mm-hmm. you know like having any other interests in life well the the family was definitely a, a big part of it <clears throat> excuse me because uh you know like anybody else in the restaurant industry i'm working late hours and long and weekends and holidays and missing everything in life and um so that was another thing is that you know i'm start thinking about what is going to make me happy in my life and I'm thinking, I, I definitely want to cook. I definitely want to be in a restaurant. Um, I'm I'm not going to do an office thing. It's just not for me. And, um, you know, so, okay, now what about a restaurant would be good? Well, I don't want to be there all night. So I don't want to have a place that's, like, bar-centric. I don't want to have, a, like, a real formal sit-down. That's too much to deal with. You got too many ingredients, too many things to order. It's mm-hmm. just... You know, it's so much. And, like, I super envy the people that do, you know, that, that full-service stuff. And I super envy the the Michelin star guys. I mean, I follow them all on Instagram and everything. 
Um, just it's just not for me. Just mm-hmm. just didn't didn't fit with me personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, so well, good for you for recognizing that. And, yeah, and uh, that, you know that's sometimes a big thing. Yeah, you got to recognize absolutely. your own strengths yeah. and weaknesses. Um, so so let's bring it back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we're talking about uh, how things were building up to this point. Where uh, you know now at this point you, you feel like you are ready. Four or five months later, you mm-hmm. are ready. What made you think you were ready at this point? Um, I think it was just it get getting over the fear of it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, physically with the the tools that were in my toolbox of, of life and personality and skills and whatever, I think I had it. You know, and you know before that. But my wife was a big influencer, and she, I think she, I remembered her just being like, just shut up, just do it. (laughs) Go find a damn restaurant and open your damn restaurant. Like, you've been talking about this for years and years. Like, ever since the day I met you, you've been talking about doing your own restaurant. The time will never be right. Exactly. You just got to do it and and start where you can. Uh, Sorry, keep going. No, no, no. That's, I mean... Yeah, you just got to do it. You got to take that step, and once you take that, that's your that's your big leap mm-hmm. is to actually say, okay, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll sign that lease. All right. So, what was your lane getting into this? Obviously, the back of house, the, the food. What was John's lane? How did you guys figure out who was going to do what and where you were? Well, we just really okay. So, this was a barbecue restaurant before we owned it. Okay, and uh, we, in all honesty, we we kind of had a list of like what concepts would we like to do like what and so really what we were going actually going to look for was something somewhere to do cool sandwiches and uh, there's a place in charleston called butcher and b and um, i think they've changed a little bit of how they operate now but when i went there we went there a number of times in the past it was just like really awesome sandwiches you know if it was a ham and cheese sandwich it was like you know, house cured ham, you know, local cheese, you know, and all the bread was baked there and that kind of thing. And so I, he went to Charleston. I said, you need to go to this place. He went, loved it. said, we need to do something like that, but you know, we'll do our own thing. And uh, so when this place became available, we looked at it and we thought, well, we'll turn it into our sandwich shop. Well, it wasn't going to work. The logistics of the you know, just the, the structure of the building. There's no hood here. There's all these things missing. And it was like, well, we don't have, we're not going to be able to get $150,000 to just demolish this down to studs and start over. And so we said, well, we, we know how to do some barbecue stuff. You know, we're, we're accomplished cooks. I mean, you know, we, we can do that. And we did some smoking really at the mansion. Um, and, uh, but you know, in all honesty, I mean, we're not these like long time like barbecue pit master pit master yeah. guys i mean you know and we've never had a problem with saying that and people kind of associate barbecue with like this you know you've got to just like train like a sushi chef for 20 years to know even how to you know you don't even get to touch the wood for five years you know it's it's not like that yeah i mean you can i'm a chef i know how to cook food i know how to mani- manipulate heat and that kind of thing I understand what it takes to turn this cut of meat into something beautiful and tender. And so I can do that in a a braise in the oven. I can do it a slow roast. I can do a barbecue, Mm -hmm. you know? And so now our food wasn't, our barbecue wasn't all that great. Like our first couple weeks. I mean, we didn't have a ton of time to practice here on this huge equipment that we inherited from this guy. And um, so, but basically, so we came in, we changed everything around inside, you know, you know freshened everything up um 
for those that have been to Blue Door, yeah, I know it still doesn't look that fresh, but you know, it's uh, it is what it is. And um, we told ourselves from the very beginning we want to have delicious food and good service, and let's just make those two things the the backbone of everything we do, and let's just cut all the BS out of it. Um, so you know, when we first opened, we were barely any art on the wall. I mean, there's not much art now. There's a picture of the UK Wildcat, you know, mascot. That's my favorite picture. But I was curious, you're wearing the UK hat. Why not a CIA hat? Um, <laughs> the CIA basketball team was never any good. Um, a huge UK fan. Um, okay. <laughs> mirepoix, mirepoix, roo, 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 dice them up, slice them up, put them in the stew. That was our, the CIA chant. But, um, you know, I, I have a hoodie still. But, uh, you know, it, it just... You know, we just wanted to be simple. Yeah. And um, so we get in and we start doing all of our construction type stuff here. And, you know, we had all these big ideas of changes that we wanted to make. And, you know, we just kind of continue to step back and say, we don't need to do that. That's not going to affect the quality of our food or our service. It might look cool. People might think it looks neat to have this cool looking smoker burning out front, but we don't need to spend a thousand dollars on some prop you know what i mean like so we just kept it very simple and so we started smoking on this huge smoker it's like the size of a car and um you know kind of kind of got got the hang of it and uh, like i said we we knew how to smoke meat but on a small scale Mm -hmm. and we're cooks we know how to manipulate we know how to to read something to say this is too dark. This is not dark enough. Yeah, but even beyond that, you know how to take something and make it better every time you do it into exactly. learn, into yeah. scale. Like, like you don't just settle like, okay, this is how we do it. Like, you did it once, you did it again, you did it again, and a natural chef progresses yeah. every time they do it until they can't do it any better. And that sounds like, I'm assuming that's the kind of the yeah. angle you guys took. And you're exactly right. And there is so much of that, the opposite of that in this industry that I see restaurants and I just, it kills me. Like, you know, I really think about wanting to be like a restaurant consultant and, and I have done a little bit of consulting, um, for a number of places, but it's like, it's almost like Gordon Ramsay esque like, okay, you're, you're saying that your restaurant is great and people love it, but you don't have any customers. Why? But you, you know, need me. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. And so it's like, and sometimes it just takes a kick in the butt mm-hmm. for someone to say, Look, you you know how to make chicken noodle soup, but this chicken noodle soup sucks. Mm-hmm. So let's think about why it sucks and let's make a better, you know, chicken noodle soup or whatever. But yeah, you're right. So I mean, like you just we would come out with this meat. I mean, there were some days at the very beginning where it was like this brisket sucks. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to eat this. We're not serving brisket today. And and that happened, you know, mm-hmm. and then we um, it just it just took a little while, like with any restaurant, which so anybody that's listening out there, you know, give a restaurant a little bit of time before mm-hmm. you give it this one star Yelp review, yeah. you know, and um, interestingly enough, um, there's a guy, his name's Jesse, super good guy has become a friend of ours. He gave us a really bad review, maybe two or three stars. And uh, we took that so personally at the beginning but he was right. The, our, the brisket was dry and wasn't that good the day that he had it. But he just he kept coming back. And uh, we, 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 we got the brisket where it needed to be. And that's what we're very proud of is yeah, the brisket. Yeah, I would, I would agree to that. I had a few bites. I'm staring at it. 
Um, I'm about to stick my fork and it's like there's a huge piece left and I just want to like eat it like a popsicle right now. Yeah, like, go, go for uh, it. <laughs> it. It's delicious. Um, so, and, but he changed his review on Yelp and uh, gave us five stars, you know, and it's like, and he was coming in, you know, like weekly. They He, he, he moved away. Um, <clears throat> but that was, that was some validation, you know. Mm. It's like, okay, they believed in us. He probably heard, hey, you didn't like Blue Door? I thought mine was really good. You should go back, you know, or whatever. And so that's that's what it was for us. Was just like we got to capture these people one by one. Um, we're not we're, we're probably the least one of the least fancy restaurants yeah. in America. I mean, in Lexington for sure. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of bells and whistles here, and um, you know, so it was like the food has to be great, and we have to have really good friendly service. So, what would you say your biggest struggle is getting started? Was just uh, taking something that you weren't fully committed to, or not committed to. Um, experience with and, and having to kind of be put on the spot to like eat, to take that that thing that you had no not a lot of experience with and be like that's what exactly this is what we do this is what we're best at like yeah yeah that, that 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 was that was a big part of it and you know we broke a lot of people's hearts because they'd come in and say who who's who's pit master around here and then we we always kind of say well you know we all kind of share in it or whatever and, um, you know, they say, oh, y'all boys are, well, where'd y'all learn who one of y'all's from Texas or whatever. And it's like, nobody, I mean, yeah. and it's, it's hard to explain to someone who, who doesn't know the, in, the, the industry of restaurants in general, but they consider themselves a barbecue expert because they've eaten barbecue yeah. all over the world or all over the country that, it doesn't take some like 75 year old guy that was born in Southern Alabama whose dad owned a barbecue. It doesn't, that guy's not necessarily better than us. You know, I mean, there's, there's people doing phenomenal food of all kinds around the country that don't have a ton of experience with it. Uh, But you can always learn Mm -hmm. and you can always apply yourself to it. And uh, you know, Rick Bayless, I mean, one of the utmost experts on Mexican cuisine, he's white, yeah, you know, and, but he has put in so much effort to learn that cuisine and not just to say, Oh, I can follow the recipe that I got from this, you know, grandmother in Mexico city. No, like he spends time with her and he says, why do you only cut the epizote this way? Or, you know, why do you use this chili instead of this chili or, or whatever. And so that's kind of how we applied it. It's like, let's figure out who does, brisket the best central texas you don't tweet me on that or whatever i don't need a bunch <laughs> of stuff in my inbox um but you know it's like you know what do they do what, what, what are their secrets well there's no secrets anymore it's, it's all on the internet yeah. you know so you, you can find that you can go to their restaurants you can talk to them tweet them whatever and you pick up these little tidbits and but like i've been saying you know as a chef as a cook we i know how to I can take a piece of meat and I can braise it into a beautiful beef stew or, you know, whatever. It's the same thing. It's just a different cooking method. So concisely uh, today, four years after opening, Mm -hmm. uh, in as few sentences as possible, because we got to move to the speed round. What is it about um, what you're doing today that has made you successful? What is it your, what is Blue Door doing that that is is right today? Um, Aside from the food. our service um everybody that works here is friendly and it's not a gimmick it's it's a reality and um 
you know, part of it is is that we pay our employees well. Um, they make some tips. We have a couple of benefits that barely any restaurants, including some of the big dogs in town, offer. We offer some partial health insurance. Uh, we offer a pension plan to our employees. Um, my, my dad and my sister do that for a living, so they said, hey, you should offer this stuff, you know. And we looked at it and we said, man, our employees rock, so let's do it. You mm-hmm. know, let, let's, let's put some money out there and show them that we appreciate them. We want them to stay here. And they see that from us as the owners, from John and I. You know, people come in. We know people's names. And, you know, we know what people order. There's guys that call and they say, hey, it's Roger. You want, you want the usual? Yep. All right. See you at noon, you Beautiful. know. And so, and like I said, it's not a gimmick. It's genuine and it's honest. And we're just happy to be here. Our phone rings off the hook. I turned it off before we got started because <laughs> it literally just goes all day. Yeah. And um, it sometimes can be annoying, but I always say, at least they're calling. Yeah. You know, at least we're not waiting for the phone to ring. It's that attitude of, like, this is so frustrating, but, like, this is a good problem. Yeah. And we just appreciate that. And we appreciate the support from the city. And we try to to show that back. And, yeah, so it's very simple. We have good quality service. It's a friendly place to be. The food is good. Um, you know, at least we think so. And, uh, you know, the city seems to think so, too. And so we just make sure that we're very consistent with the quality of the food and the service. We want you to have a good time. We want you to tell your friends. We want you to come back. Beautiful. Anything up to this point we haven't touched on you're hoping to discuss before we move to the speed round? Um, have more money than you think you need. <laughs> um, I mean, just pretty, pretty simple. I mean, we got down to where it was just a few hundred dollars in our bank account. And it was like, hey, do you have anything to sell? Because we might need to sell some stuff. To, if we're going to pay this next, you know, food order or yeah. whatever. Um, so, yeah, so so be prepared financially. I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about philosophy and theory and, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, it, when it comes down to it, money is, is very important. Yeah. So um, It's the fuel that drives the engine, man. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, be have have the money um, and, uh, and be prepared for unexpected expenses – excuse me, unexpected problems and, and errors. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden one day you're going to get a bill in the mail for some new insurance, you know, whatever. So, yeah. you know, you got to stay on your toes. You got to be, got to be prepared, roll with the punches and just, uh, and just go to it. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break. To thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have 
access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, Eleven Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you, Chef, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, as cheesy as it sounds, positivity. You know, yes. just got to stay positive about what you're doing and, and be happy. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, I'm a dreamer. Like, <laughs> I mean, I want to do a million different things and it's, so we gotta, I gotta pull that back sometimes. So how do you, how do you handle that weakness? And I get you, man. I'm right there with you. Like I'm always in the clouds dreaming. Um, our business now is, um, it's, it's a lucrative business. We're making good money, um, as far as the business goes and personally, you know, um, so it's like, I always look at it and say, I don't need to spread myself anywhere else. I need to focus on this business right now because it is a profitable business. Restaurants are hard to maintain a profit in for long periods of time. Let's just make this a smashing success. This one place, if we can be successful for the next 25 years, we'll be happy. Mm. You know, what's one question or thing you look for during the interview process. And you attest a lot of your success to the people that you have in your team. You're great people. So how do you find those great people? What is it that, that you look for? It it's, it's an unspoken thing about people. <clears throat> I want somebody that's direct, um, that looks at me and engages in the interview and just doesn't sit there and wait to have questions thrown at them. What's your biggest challenge today? Um, Cooking enough meat. <laughs> Cooking enough meat. So uh, not being able to, to meet the demand? We need to buy another smoker. In order to buy another smoker, we have to buy more refrigeration. In order to hold more meat after it's smoked, we need to buy another hot box. And if you've ever been in the Blue Door Smokehouse, there's not space for any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're cooking, um, uh, when we're busy, well over one ton of meat a week. Wow. Um, so, you know, between brisket, pork, sausage, ribs, turkey, chicken, you know, all the stuff that we do, we're, we're in the one ton a week range and, um, we need to do a little bit more than that sometimes. Okay. 
Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act, core values, beliefs. You, you got to be honest. <clears throat> um, one of the things, like we have a, a thing where you, one side costs $2 and two sides cost 350 If you are with your wife and you come in or you know whoever you're with and you say, um, we both want I want a pork sandwich and a potato salad. And then the other one says, I want a brisket sandwich and a potato salad. Well, what we'll do is we'll ring that up as the two for three fifty, and you save 50 cents. It's not a huge thing, you know, but I could ring you up pork sandwich, potato salad, pork sandwich, potato salad, but we'll likely do pork sandwich, two potato salads, pork sandwich by itself. Note on there, you know, that one potato salad on each trip. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's just like, it's a little thing, but you know, that's how we sell the food. You know, it's two sides for three fifty, So you should be able to get that. Um, if you order like a half a pound of meat and you want, just want, you know, we like, it's a plate, you know, a brisket plate, half pound of meat, two sides. Sometimes people will say, I just want two bags of chips. Well, chips only cost a dollar each. So you're, the meal is priced for two sides to cost three fifty, but if you only want two bags of chips, then that's only two dollars. So we're basically stealing a dollar fifty from you. So we don't ring it up like that. We ring up a half a pound of meat and two bags of chips separately. And people probably would never know that we ever did that or didn't do it. But it's just something that is important to us because we don't ever want someone to look at the menu and say, "Huh, wait a minute, I've been getting ripped off here." You yeah. know, that's just. That's not what we're in it for. Yeah. We want to. We want you to come back a hundred times, and if we're treating you poorly, then you're not going to come back. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great stuff, man. Uh, so, what is one uncommon standard of service? So, this is I'm interested because you said service is kind of where you shine. So, something that you do at Blue Door that is standard for Blue Door, but not standard in the industry. Um, we, uh, like I said earlier, we know people's names, and um, we really. I think just because we're social people, um, we, we want to know what's going on in your life. Mm. And like I said earlier, it's not a gimmick. It's not like we sit here and say, Hey, make sure you ask everybody what they're doing. It's like, they just, we just all do it naturally. And so people that come in regularly, we know them, we know their wives, we know their kids, we know what sports they're doing. We know what they're interested in, what concert they went to. And we like, are like, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? Yeah. You know, Hey Carl, how was the gym yesterday? How much are you benching now? You know, yeah. whatever. Like, and that's people love that. I mean, we get we get guys in here three, four days a week, and it's because that we treat we treat people respectfully, and we treat them like we really enjoy them to be here, and we do. So, is there? I mean, not to like, how do I say this? Like, like you should genuinely do these things, but is there a system that you teach that you leverage to make sure that it's happening consistently? Like, is there like a checklist, like a mental checklist you teach your people or it just happen? No, I think it happens kind of naturally. And, you know, um, you know, we're, we're a restaurant, so we, they accept tips. And, uh, I think our employees have, you know, they've realized that the better service they give, the more tips that they get, you know, and they like, you know, you like to be able to take, because we pay every, we don't do a server's wage. Everybody gets paid, you know, a good hourly wage, plus the tips, which is a little bit uncommon for for restaurants. But everything is so close knit here. When you're working in the kitchen, you're basically still working in front of the house. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know everybody just splits it up evenly. And then 
you know, it's it's a good motivator. I mean, income's always a good motivator. Absolutely. What's one book that's a must read that makes a better person or restaurant owner? Ooh, um, man, I tell you, it's unrelated to restaurants, but one of my favorite books is A Walk Across America, Peter Jenkins from the 70s. Um, and he had a, a, a skewed view of the United States. And then this is a true story. Um, and he got challenged. Well, how do you know anything about the United States? You're from upstate New York or wherever he was from. And so he decided he was going to walk all the way across America. So he walked from like New York to New Orleans and then New Orleans to Oregon. And it's broken down into two books. And, um, it's just, it's, it's been my favorite book for a long time. What's the biggest lesson in that book? Me, you know, understanding, you know, like he, he, he's white. He went into a black community in Mississippi and was completely blown away at the misconceptions that he had about these people. And they took him in like he was their own son. And he saw some of the struggles that they had. He never would have known that had he never actually went there and experienced it. And so it maybe not so much business related, but life related is just to, you know, to keep your eyes open and mm-hmm. understand not everybody's the same as you. Not everybody goes through the same thing. And, uh, you know, we're all, we're all different, but we're all on this little planet together. So let's, uh, you know, let's understand each other. Mm-hmm. What's one online resource or tool you're leveraging? You mentioned earlier that you're following like the, the, uh, Michelin star chefs of the world. So is there a place you're going to, to learn about these people or what's going on there? Um, I love, uh, I love the show mind of a chef. Um, that PBS does, uh, Instagram is just awesome. And with the new Instagram kind of, uh, little video clip uh i don't even know what they call it insta stories or something yeah um i mean you got somebody like renee red from noma who is posting these just incredible ingredients and techniques and things like that i mean you can learn so much from that stuff that you may never be exposed to and you say what the heck is that and then you can go google it you so know who who are your favorite people to follow renee renee red is definitely one of them um uh Anthony Bourdain is good. He doesn't post a ton, but a lot of times he has, uh, he's got really good, um, really good stuff. Um, I love, uh, Mike Isabella posts really good stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. There's, there's tons and tons and tons. Uh, Aaron Franklin, you know, Franklin barbecue law barbecue. Got to keep up with the barbecue guys. Are they in Austin. Yeah. Both oh. of those guys are in Austin. Look out guys. I'm going to Austin in uh, three weeks. <laughs> hey, sorry, Aaron Franklin. Um, <laughs> law barbecue is just as good. Maybe. Um, <laughs> both of those guys do phenomenal stuff. Beautiful. Law barbecues changed a little bit since I was there, but I mean, man, Austin, Texas, it is the barbecue capital. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant in Basically, how has it influenced operations, uh, efficiencies, profitability, uh, things like that? Um, we we don't use technology. Um, we, I mean, our only tech, and I say this all the time, and people love, you know, they, they laugh at it. We use Square. You mm-hmm. know, we use an iPad. We use Square. We don't do a lot of tech. Um, and, I mean, part of the reason is we're so small. And But I always say, you know, this computer is not working right. And as I always say, well, wood smoke never lets me down. You know, <laughs> I can always light a fire, Yeah, but you know, this computer is going to fail on us one day. Um, no, we, we use the square and, um, and it does help track, you know, customers, repeats, new guests, 
you know, emails, things like that. And then we can both have it on our phone as well. So we can take that out to caterings and stuff. And then sometimes people, you know, someone just called today and said, I had, was there on a business lunch. I forgot to get a receipt. Can you print me a receipt or email it? And I can get right there on my phone and uh, being such a small place, you know, we, we just have the one register, but sometimes you need to ring two things up at once or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I know tech is very important for a lot of people. We don't use a ton of it. For a counter service barbecue uh, smokehouse that does, how many items total do you have in your menu? Like 12. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's perfect for simple operations because yeah. it's a simple platform. And sometimes less is more. So I, I get And, and I, I get see that. people trying to, to overextend themselves with the tech. And the marketing and and things like that. And I tell you, man, I hope there's not a ton of UK fans listening because I'm going to drop a name that a lot of y'all don't like. Mike (laughs) Krzyzewski, the coach of Duke. I was listening to him on a J.J. Reddick's podcast, and uh, who was also a Dukey. You know, I I can't stand Duke, but Krzyzewski's a great coach, whatever. Um, So, but anyways, they were talking about the differences of – um, the uh, basketball now, college basketball now versus when J.J. Redick was playing. And Coach K said, you know, it's it's a lot different. He said one of the main things is that all these guys are trying to establish a brand, not necessarily a, a brand that has a logo and a clothing personal line. Personal brand. Yeah. Just a, your personal brand. And he said, you know, I sometimes just don't understand it. But, you know, the most important thing about having a brand is being really good at what you do. <laughs> and so in that, you know, that – that said something to me, you know, and it's just like, we could go out here, we could do a million videos, we could do this, that, and the other, but when you come in here and you don't have really good barbecue, you're going to be like, God, these guys are just a bunch of smoking mirrors, you know? <laughs> and so it, so that, that, that's, that's our big thing, you know, Beautiful. it's just having that brand. Chef, this is the last question, but it's a big one. You ready for it? Uh-huh. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind uh, for the for you know your legacy and for the good of humanity, uh, what would those three truths be? Those three lessons. I'm uh, no, nobody. I, I don't have anything to leave. <laughs> I'm not that important. Uh, what do you know to be true about life um, and business? You know, uh, authenticity is definitely super important. Uh, whatever you're doing, just be authentic and be true to yourself and be true to your, um, your employees, your customers, you know, whatever the case is, authenticity, super important. Um, acceptance, you know, I won't take this political or anything, but you know, there, there's a lot of different people around here. There's a lot of different cultures. There's a lot of different foods. There's a lot of different this, that, and the other, you know, and uh, you know, let's just let's just be accepting of things. You don't have to agree with everything or or get on board with everything. But you know, we're we're all different. We all have our quirks. And um, you know, I, I I don't I don't know what the third would be. You, you got to eat good food. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing. There's very few things better than good food and good sex. And uh, you know, so let's let's do a lot of those. <laughs> great way to finish this thing uh we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out so who's one independent restaurant operator somebody in this industry who you respect and admire somebody who you would want to listen to their story and their advice if they're a guest on the show yeah i'll tell you um you 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 may have been pointed his direction but here in lexington mark jensen um he runs a place called middle fork he started as a little food truck called fork in the road and did catering and that kind of thing 
Um, he absolutely kills it. Yeah. And um, his, his restaurant, it's my, my favorite place to go in town. We don't go that much anymore. My wife and I adopted a baby. Um, she's just almost 18 months old now. Um, so we don't get as many, you know, date nights out and that kind of thing. But Mark kills it and uh, love his food and him and his philosophy and, and everything. So, yeah, he's 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 a super great guy. Yeah, he's been uh, he's definitely been mentioned uh, to, to get in touch with him. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting him last night. I went and I stopped by uh, to introduce myself to let him know that I'd love to talk to him. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. He's not going to come on the show this time around, but mm-hmm. uh, he says he definitely wants to do it. So maybe in my way back to New Hampshire, I'll yeah. swing through Lexington again to, mm-hmm. uh, to get his story. But uh, Mark, look out, man, I'm coming after you. Yeah. And I let the folks at home know if they want to follow what you're up to, if they're uh, if they're in the uh, Lexington area and they want to learn about barbecue, maybe they can come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Uh, our, our website, bluedoorsmokehouse.com. Um, I do all the, the, the work on there. So it's like one of the worst websites you'll ever see. <laughs> but all the links do work and the menu's up there. And you can email us through there or whatever. Um, we're on Facebook. Just search for Blue Door Smokehouse. We're on Instagram, Blue Door Smokehouse. Twitter, Blue Door Smokehouse. You know, um, do most of our stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and uh, we're at 226 Walton Avenue in Lexington, Kentucky. And our phone number is 2524BBQ. And uh, this is Jeff Newman. So if you head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Jeff Newman, J E F F. N-E-W-M-A-N, correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I will have a link to today's discovery, or sorry, a link to uh, the tools and services books recommended, uh, summary of today's discussion, and the contact information all over there, restaurantunstoppable.com slash Jeff Newman. And uh, Jeff, again, man, thank you so much. Thanks for, for being here. Oh, yeah. man, it was my pleasure uh, sharing your story, your advice. Uh, it was great, man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Well, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Man, Chef Jeff Newman was dropping some bombs of knowledge. Everything he was spitting was gold. And uh, where do you even start with today's like summary? I think uh, the big first lesson for me was that power of just you get out what you put in. And uh, success in this industry comes after you're, you know you finished a full day. It's all the, 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 the discipline you need after an eight-hour day to take it to the next level, to do all the little things that not everyone's willing to do. And then uh, beyond that, even during his education, you, you get out of your education, what you put into it. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's just so many little nuggets in this conversation. I think the other big one, uh, that must be, uh, brought up here is just the idea of knowing who you are and then being authentic to who you are and being honest and, uh, some great lessons on just being true to yourself, uh, trusting your guts, taking care of your people, managing people. I mean, so many great pieces of advice in today's conversation, Thanks again, Chef Jeff Newman. If you guys are enjoying these episodes and you want more episodes just like them, reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com or Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. I want to hear from you. I want to know what your challenges are. I want to know who you want to hear from. We'll learn together. I'm here to serve you, but you need to reach out for me to serve you best. Uh, 
keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, they help so much with just validating what I'm doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable. But the best way to support Restaurant Unstoppable and this mission of empowering and lifting up aspiring restaurant owners to be great and really to change the culture of our industry, that's ultimately what I want to do. I want to change the way we do business. I really want to just create a lens through which to see the world and to, to be happy and to be successful and to create a world where we're all growing and moving forward together. If you want to support that mission, that mission, if, if that vision is something that you want to get behind, please share this resource right now. Anybody, you know, who's aspiring to be great in the industry, put this podcast on their radar. Uh, let, let's create a movement of just sharing knowledge and growing together and making it about us, not me, not you, but like all of us together as one unit pushing to achieve greatness and to be unstoppable. Uh, All right, guys, I think I've went on enough. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Wouldn't be able to do it without you until next time. Peace out.